Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the It Gets Better podcast. It's me, Lindsay Atkinson, and today I have a really special guest, Carolina Salazar, who is a holistic health coach and life coach and hormone specialist and an all-around, like, badass chick. Um, She's the creator behind the Carolina Lifestyle. She's also the founder of Inner Growth, a collective and brand that brings together wellness-minded women to grow and up-level together through connection, education, mental health, and community. Sorry, everyone, if you hear the sirens, it's just... They're not okay. Good. They're allowed on my end. But Carolina is passionate about helping women embrace being multifaceted, heal from perfectionism and disordered eating behaviors, and release beliefs that block them from becoming their higher selves. Whoa, that gives me chills. So (laughs) I thought we could start with you, Carolina, kind of telling us your personal development, personal growth journey. Like what makes you you? Yeah, for sure. How far back should I go? As far back as you feel comfortable. (laughs) Okay, awesome. So I, when I trace back to like when I was younger, I want to say I was always, I'm the oldest sister. So I was always like very high achieving, perfectionistic, like put a lot of pressure on myself, unknowingly really to be this like perfect child and to excel and to get straight A's and that's always just been kind of a part of who I am. And I received a lot of validation for that when I was younger. So I think as I got older, I never really thought it was a bad thing to like say I was a perfectionist or to just like put all this pressure on myself until farther down the line when I started realizing how I was truly affecting me. Um, Also, at the same time, I grew up in Brazil. So I lived in Sao Paulo until I was like 13. So going into eighth grade and then I moved to the U.S., and so I'm technically I'm an, I'm an immigrant. And so I immigrated when I was like entering my teen years. And that was a really big part of my personal growth because I felt like I had a pretty like overall like stable early years. But then my teen years were very rocky because there was a lot of like instability really. So moving, going through your awkward phase when you don't really know a lot of people like in your school, trying to make friends and just like figuring yourself out while going through all these big changes. So I moved to Chicago and then I lived there two years and then I moved to Florida there three years and then I went to college. So just a lot of change like over and over and over. And I think I'm a Taurus. So with all that instability, I feel like my Taurian self kind of like freaked out a little bit and I lost touch with some of the things that gave me life that made me me. Like I was always a very creative child. I loved dancing. I loved making like videos for my family doing photo booth music videos, drawing, writing stories. Like I've always been this way, but over time that perfectionistic tendency and desire to be validated plus all this instability like caused me to seek stability by almost detaching from the things I loved. Mm -hmm. And so for many years, I got very disconnected from all of that. And I kind of went down this path of feeling really lost. So I feel like my teen years really kind of had this overall vibe to them so when I got to college I was in the beginning of an eating disorder I was very very like disconnected from myself I saw a lot of validation from guys also and just like wanted someone to want me because I didn't really feel whole by myself and all of that just ended up creating this snowball effect so midway through college when the pandemic really basically hit I wasn't in the best place and I was studying abroad. I ended up coming back home to be with my parents and my brother. And I 
kind of recreated a sense of stability because I couldn't leave, I couldn't travel, I couldn't be somewhere other than one place. And I think creating that stability in my environment in a way led me to go inward and led me to kind of get real with myself on how was I self-sabotaging? How was I showing up in these ways that didn't serve me really? Mm -hmm. How was I contributing to my reality? And at the same time, I my mom has always been very spiritual. So she told me about the secret, which I know was a big part of your own experience too. Mm -hmm. when I was a freshman in college. So I was aware of manifesting, but I wasn't like very deep into it. I would like manifest a seat at the library or like small things like a parking spot, but I wasn't trying to intentionally create my life. So COVID was kind of like this quantum leap for me because I started reading The Power of Now. I started meditating. I started therapy. I started journaling, shadow work. I was really diving deep really quick, learning about my birth chart on astrology, just really spending a lot of time with myself. I was single at the time. So a lot of healing and a lot of depth. And that's what kind of led me to this process of inner growth, right? Of true personal development, reading all these books, really getting into like personal development podcasts and kind of embracing this growth learner's mindset. And it was kind of hard a lot of times because I had to face a lot of blocks like with food that I had never, even though I had kind of like healed from my eating disorder, I also wasn't fully healed in the mindset of it. Like my mind wasn't the portion of my mind that related to that past relationship I had with food and exercise that wasn't very healthy, wasn't healed though. Like I could eat and I like, was at a healthy weight. So that was a big part of the healing. And then also learning to love myself and date myself and just improve my mindset so it was so much all at once with affirmations with podcasts with subconscious reprogramming with meditation with working out and just doing all this self-work and pretty quickly I was able to manifest a really healthy romantic relationship because I was coming from this place of self-love and I, love I also created my social media around that time so that's when I created the Carolina lifestyle as I was going through this quantum leap which began in like basically March of 2020. And I created my account on TikTok on May of 2020. So it was pretty much around that same time. So it's been cool because throughout the last two years and a half, as I've grown, as I've deepened this personal growth journey, I've also been kind of posting content throughout the whole time. So my personal growth has been kind of shown through my social media. And if I go all the way back, I can see how much I've grown. But the things I love helping people with, so connecting to their bodies, learning to love their vessels and like see it for the amazing thing that it is, kind of changing your limiting beliefs and your perception of yourself and healing this like all or nothing, perfectionistic, extremist mindset and mm -hmm. all the self-judgment that a lot of women carry. All these things I'm passionate about talking about are from my own experience and are because those were the things I had to kind of heal myself around and from. So that's kind of, the journey in a nutshell. Do you feel like sharing your journey online helped you heal as well? I think so. I think it was hard at times because sometimes imposter syndrome would come up. Mm -hmm. You know, if I was still struggling and I was going through those like troughs, you know, because it's kind of a wave, you, you have ups and downs. So when I was on those downs, it was really hard to feel like, who am I to talk about this? Like, I'm still learning, but embracing the fact that everyone's an imperfect human and everyone's learning and growing has helped me continue showing up and I think the more I learn 
the more I grow, the more confident I also become in sharing that experience. But it's really hard sometimes showing everything too on social media. I think it's great that you mentioned imposter syndrome because that's something I talked about in my previous episode. And I feel like whenever I talk about imposter syndrome with people who aren't on social media, they'll be like, oh my gosh, why would you struggle with imposter syndrome? And I think it's a good reminder that you mentioned that, that everyone struggles with it. it even it, It's obviously something we want to continue to push through, but it's a reminder that even people that are doing really big things like you are sometimes still have those moments of doubt. And it's such a good reminder that yeah. those moments of doubt don't control the fact that you still show up every day and do really cool stuff. So I love that. Um, let's go back to Thank the perfectionism you. a little bit. Uh, yes, I, I really love your content. I'm always very inspired by your stuff. So there's so many things Aww. I want to touch on. <laughs> so I thought we'd go back to the perfectionism first. So if someone was listening right now and maybe they're they're noticing that perfectionism is holding them back and they're like, okay, I am at the very bottom of this. You know, what would be my first step or biggest thing you would advise them to do to start working towards, I guess, letting, letting go of perfectionism? Yeah, I think the first step is kind of in the belief of I have to be perfect. And first thinking, what is even perfect like what does that even mean and also remembering that no one is perfect so really embracing being imperfectly perfect and just being you I think that's the first thing that I had to kind of get over and then also learning about what perfectionism actually looks like a lot of people don't realize that for example leaving things to the last minute and then trying to scramble to get it done and then it doesn't end up being perfect and then you beat yourself up for that that's a perfectionistic tendency. And I never realized that it was until I learned that. And I realized that a lot of the times I'd be like, oh, I have to wait for the perfect idea for this paper or for this project or for this video. And then I would keep pushing it and pushing it and delaying it and then feel more stressed out because I had less time to get it done. So okay, wait, that was a call out for me because I've never thought of it that way. And I do struggle with that. Even uh, Julia, she was on the podcast recently, you know, Julia, um, yeah. all the time is like, Lindsay, you, you have so many great ideas and so many big things I think you're going to do. Like, why aren't you doing them yet? I'm always like, well, I just feel like the timing isn't right. Like I've always wanted to write a book. And she's like, but when is the timing going to be right? And I'm like, I don't know. It just has to be perfect. And I've never thought of it as that big perfectionism that's interesting I've only yeah. ever I guess I've always thought of perfectionism is like okay I have to get straight A's on everything so yeah, it's good to know it's exactly. a lot more than that um, yeah yeah for sure another thing too is like if you have like a big to-do list it's like some things in the that to-do list are going to be harder more time intensive like writing a book for example other things are going to be check your emails answer comments on social media answer dms whatever more of those like every day, like low effort, also like probably more time intensive. Perfectionism would kind of lead us to prefer getting those easy tasks done because we can cross off more things on our to-do list. But those big things that feel more looming and overwhelming, they're actually what's probably going to move the needle the most. Mm. But it's also the things we're more inclined to push off. And oh, not that's do. true. That's a good point. Um, what's something that you, if you're, when you're struggling with perfectionism, if you notice it's coming back, do you do anything specific to kind of like get yourself out of it? I think the best way to get yourself out of it is to literally just do it. Just okay. say I'm like done is better than perfect or oh, you know, progress is better than perfect. Just actually doing one small thing that day or blocking off one hour, putting your phone away and saying, okay, I'm just going to brainstorm and write out a bunch of things about this big project that I want to do. 
it's kind of showing up in that way. And then slowly, the more you show up, the easier it gets. So I you kind of just have to do it. I That's that. like, think of okay. Nike. Just do it. So I love that. I love you said done is better than perfect. I'm going to remind myself of that when I'm like, no, this video is not good enough. I'm like, well, it's done. So that's yeah. enough. And usually we're our own biggest critics. So what we think isn't good enough is usually great to, you know, everyone else. But um, you also exactly. mentioned struggling with an eating disorder. Um, I would love to hear if you're comfortable sharing a bit about that yeah. journey. Cause I know that is something that I feel like a lot of people struggle with. I think body image issues are something that I feel like everyone struggles with nowadays. And I think social media, things online, comparison really makes it hard not to struggle with it. So I think it's um, a great, beautiful thing when people are open to talking about it, because I know it's a really tough thing to, to share. Yeah, I know. I'm super open about it. And I think that I think back to when I was struggling five and a half years ago, when I first started struggling, I didn't see anyone online talking about it. And so I think that it's really awesome that there's more people that are getting more open about it and sharing their stories. So I'm always an open book about it, but it's also a very nonlinear journey in itself. So basically five and a half years ago, going into my freshman year of college, end of senior year of high school, I think it started for a few different reasons. I had gained a little bit of weight in the process of like applying to college doing all those applications. I was just really busy and I, I wasn't working out. I was just like eating whatever. I didn't care. I was just, I, my relationship with food was so different back then, but I gained a little bit of weight and I think I received like a couple of comments about it and it started making me feel self-conscious. And also it was very closely tied to, to other things. So going into college, I was scared of the freshman 15 or whatever. And so I was trying to reverse engineer that and be like, let me lose 15 pounds. So then if I gain them freshman mm. year, I'm like back in my normal, but yeah. that was just like a bad mindset mm -hmm. to have. And then also there was this pattern in my life at the time where a lot of boys who I would like or kiss or whatever and wanted to date wouldn't want to date me so they didn't want a relationship and the next girl that they would kiss or whatever they would start dating and be serious with and all those girls were like very like skinny small no boobs just like a very different body type than mine and so I've always been like relatively petite but curvier too mm -hmm. and so I just started getting very self-conscious about that because of that like emotional trigger right more like romantic trigger so going into freshman year of college I was kind of in this pattern of restricting food restricting carbs no sugar no bread no 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 carbs literally it was like that was my biggest fear and excessive elliptical excessive cardio and I started losing weight and the issue was that people started commenting like, you look amazing, skinny mini, hot mama, whatever, like on my Instagram posts. So I started getting all this validation. And then I started thinking about it and being like, well, if I'm getting all this validation now, much more than before, I must have looked bad when I was in a different body, like shape, you know, when I would look different. And so I started feeling really scared of gaining weight back because it was like, people are going to judge me. I'm going to stop receiving this validation. I'm going to look worse. Da, 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 da. Fast forward into college, I it started getting worse because in college I was really underweight. So I would get drunker than I wanted at parties because I was underweight and my hair started falling and just like got really bad really quick. And so exactly five years ago, so Thanksgiving of 
2017, I think it was, I came home for Thanksgiving. My parents basically had a conversation with me and I was like, I don't even recognize myself anymore. I think I need help. So I was very open to getting help. I was very ready to start getting weight back and gaining strength back and feeling like myself again. So I was very on board with the process of gaining weight again. So even though a lot of fears came up, a lot of triggers of fearing judgment from others and fearing people talking about me behind my back and whatever, I still was able to gain the weight back. But that wasn't, that's like the first part because then going into sophomore year and halfway through junior, I was like smoking a lot more weed. And so I would have this pattern of just like overeating late at night and then feeling guilty the next day. And then using exercise to like cope with that guilt. And I didn't realize that quote unquote binge eating, like that's technically what Mm -hmm. it is. Like it wasn't a binge purge cycle, but I was still going through this unhealthy pattern with food and exercise. So then when quarantine hit and I started therapy, I started kind of healing those old patterns. So judging food, using labels around food, realizing like how my eating disorder affected my mindset and kind of reversing those beliefs. But then I also went into like the other extreme of what's called orthorexia, which is just being very crazy intense about being really healthy. So I was Mm -hmm. like, no, no dairy. Like I was doing the 75 hard challenge at the time. So just like a lot of exercising, a lot of just being kind of strict with my food, just being plant-based, just being like, I don't eat animal meat. Like I cut out so many things. So that was another part of it that at the time, that's when I started my social media and I felt like I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so healthy. I'm great. But over time, that wasn't sustainable. And that also wasn't the healthiest because it was also an extreme. And that's why I talk a lot about all or nothing mindset. Mm. So ultimately, in the last like year and a half is when I feel like the deepest healing has happened, where I went off of the pill. I started reconnecting with my intuition, with my body in a different way connecting to my cycle, learning to nurture my body. And then also I removed all those restrictions. So I don't cut out dairy, gluten, sugar, none of that. Like I eat what I want. I have food food freedom. And I've also learned to love my body in all stages because when I went off of the pill, I gained a little bit of weight again and I had to learn to love my body in a different shape. And reconnecting to movement also from a place of, I literally show up in this way that I'm showing up today in this podcast because I moved my body today and I'm energized and I feel mentally well because of exercise. I'm not doing it because it makes me look a certain way. It just makes me feel better and feel vibrant. And so that's kind of the whole journey. As you see, there's so many different aspects of it. And that's like the high level kind of summary, but there's been a moment in each part of it that I've struggled with different things. So I feel like I can relate to people who are struggling with a bunch of different things because I've kind of been through all of it. Um, You mentioned how you didn't realize like you were binging and then how to go back to the all or nothing. I, I actually have never shared this and I don't know if I have gotten nervous to share it. Cause I am like, I've always naturally been around this size, but same. And I grew up with my mom who who wasn't the best role model and she always would talk about her body and be like oh Mark she would all I had never heard anything but her calling herself fat and I remember I'd get so embarrassed because we'd be at stores and there'd be someone who was way larger than my mom and then my mom who was like pretty small would be like oh my god I'm so fat nothing fits me and then you you would see like the look of 
so like sadness on someone else's face because it's like that's making them feel horrible and I would always be so upset about it I don't want to get emotional I always get emotional about this I think it's weird I just realized I've never talked about it on my podcast but Mm -hmm. I noticed in 2020 so my mom used to always say well just wait till you turn 25 Lindsay she's like I always looked just like you super skinny but the moment you turn 25 you're gonna you're gonna gain my hips and it's so strange because the moment I turned 25, I have my mom's exact body type. And one day Noah, like, but not in like a, a mean way, was like, oh my gosh, Lindsay, have you noticed that you and your mom have like an identical body shape? And he meant it as a compliment, but it broke my heart because I had only ever heard my mom talk oh. about her hips as like something disgusting. And I was like, oh no. So I spent all this time thinking, okay, well maybe something my mom was eating is what made like her hips grow as if like there was something wrong with them. And I went through all these different diets. I tried veganism. I cut out dairy. I cut out gluten. And I did end up finding that I struggle out with a little bit of gluten sensitivity, but same thing actually. But when I went and spoke to um, a, a nutritionist and stuff, I was telling her all my symptoms and I feel, I don't know why I get so nervous to talk about this. I guess because I'm smaller, I never want to seem like, oh my gosh, I have these big body image struggles, but it is a reminder, I guess everyone struggles with it. And I, I remember really she- think, like at least 80% of women struggle with it. Which is so sad. Because I remember she, the lady was like, I'm going to be right back. And she brought someone else in from the practice and was like, hey, I want to ask you if you've ever heard of orthorexia. And I had never heard of that word. And she's like, I think you're struggling with a little bit of maybe not an eating disorder. She's like, but I think if you don't stop thinking you have to cut all these foods out, like you're walking towards that path. And I remember thinking like I was going to go in. I was so sure I was going to leave being like, oh yeah, I was right. I have this food problem or this one. And I left and she's like, I think you need to work on your relationship with food. She's like, I think the stress of what you're eating is affecting. Cause I was feeling like really lethargic, very bloated, like fatigue, so stressed all the time. Like, and she was like, I think the stress of what you're eating is hurting you more. And so I went from cutting out all these things to just like letting myself eat them. And I realized not, not only did I stop obsessing over them because it was like, when I cut out sugar, I always have a sweet tooth. I was obsessed with sugar. I could not wait to eat a cookie. And then it's like, I would go from, I would eat, you know, two boxes of Oreos in a sitting because I thought I was never going to get it again. And I realized once I stopped thinking, okay, I have to cut all these food groups out like it went back to normal. Like I, the bloating is like, okay, yeah, I bloat sometimes when I eat pasta, but then it's gone the next morning. Like, you know, normal yeah. body changes happen, but I realized a lot of the stuff that was like the sickness I felt went away when the stress went away. And I was like, it's crazy how much our own stress contributes to how we feel. And then once I just realized like, okay, this is my body. Like I, and I think I, I kind of like that whole inner child, I started thinking like, okay, how would I feel if like little me heard me saying these things now. And I was like, oh my gosh. Cause I remember when my mom yeah. would say those things about her body, I was just wishing she would realize how beautiful my mom, I wish it was like, I wish she could see how beautiful I think she is. And I was like, crap, little me somewhere is like, well, same. And so yeah. it's big. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That's really powerful. And I also really think that healing our relationship to our bodies is very closely tied to the mother wound. Like mm-hmm. I really think that because a lot of the times our mom's relationship with food and their own bodies and subtle comments that they make really shape our future selves limiting beliefs or just the way we think about those things right we absorb a lot from our family and in my own journey as well like in my family in particular both of my parents like not even thinking it's a bad thing or anything they would make a lot of comments about if someone in the family gained weight 
you know, mm-hmm. oh my God, did you see, or even like if a famous person looked different, you know, they'd be like, oh my God, she's chubbier or like stuff like that. And over time, I've had to also teach them that it's not okay to do that because you don't re- realize how it can be impacting the person around the other people mm-hmm. around you or the person next to you. And it's really subtle, but it's this un- unlearning of different ways that we've started to think about food and learning new ways. But I'm so happy that also you've been able to find that freedom because it kind of ties to the all or nothing, right? Like when you cut sugar out completely from your diet, you're going to crave it so much more. It's like if I tell you to not think about a blue elephant, you're going to think of a blue elephant right now. (laughs) It's like the the exact same thing. And so I like the analogy of a, a pendulum a lot. When you swing a pendulum or if you take a necklace and you just swing it to one side, it's going to swing to the exact same length or distance on the opposite side. And it's going to keep doing that back and forth, back and forth until it goes to the middle, until it arrives at this equilibrium point mm. where if it, the best thing is if it swings to one side is that it's just a little bit to that side. So you don't have to go all the way to an extreme and then go to all the way to the other extreme and keep oscillating in those extremes until you find a middle ground or you find a consistency that feels good to you or even a sustainable routine or a sustainable relationship with food and exercise because that's why the dieting patterns they they don't just don't work Mm -hmm. they just are kind of doomed to fail because you're gonna do it do it do it like do the diet and then as soon as you reach your quote-unquote goal you're gonna be like okay diet's over and then you go back to the other extreme so that's why I'm big on sustainability when it comes to our relationship to our body, food, routines, habits, things like that. Do you have any resources or um, any even a book or anything that you um, look to when you were learning that stuff or anyone who's like, okay, I want to learn more about balance or food freedom? Or do you offer, you know, I know you just started your membership. Are you going to be talking about this, those things? Because I feel like that's a big topic. Yeah, I've realized this is something I'm very passionate about. And it's something I've worked on with my one-on-one clients before. So if people are looking for support, I'm offering that. And I'm excited about it. And I'm also going to be building eventually like a program for this, like a group program. But right now, the main way to to work with me is one-on-one. Okay. So if anyone's interested, definitely reach out to me. Yes, 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 yes. But yeah. Oh, sorry. And then also, I just wanted to mention another resource is the book Untamed by Mm. Glennon Doyle it's not fully about this but it helped me a lot with becoming more empowered as a woman so highly recommend that book I love that I was just listening to her podcast today for the first time it was really yeah yeah I really liked it so I know you are very smart when it comes to cycle syncing and hormones and I am a noob when it comes to that I'm so interested but I'm like I have I don't know anything. So I would love to hear your thoughts on cycle syncing. Does hormone balance and cycle syncing go together? Yeah. Sort of. We can can tackle one at a time if that's easier too. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about cycle or like a lot if you want about cycle syncing. I think it's really cool how it's helped you, um, your tips or like anything that you can share. Yeah, for sure. I think the first thing I'd say is it's kind of wild how we're not taught so much about our bodies as women. And that's why I'm big on educating around this because I've had to learn a lot and I just want this knowledge to be accessible to more women. So basically, when it comes to cycle syncing and my journey with it, I came across cycle syncing for the first time in 2020. And then I went off of 
my IUD, I ended up going back on the pill and then I got out of the pill in March of 2021. So going to be two years soon. And when I did that at first, I had no idea what to do. I was so lost. I didn't know how the cycle worked. I had kind of watched a few TikToks. So I, TikToks, so I knew there were four phases, but I couldn't remember their names. And I didn't know how to know which phase I was in. I could track like, oh, I got my period or then this is my next period day. But I didn't know in between those periods what was going on or how to show up or how to be aware of it. So that was one part. And I also struggled with an irregular cycle. So some cycles were long, some cycles were short. And I think that kind of happens to a lot of women when you first go off of the pill. Like it takes around at least six months, more so a year for your body to fully adapt hormonally after you've been on the pill for years on end. I think I was on hormonal contraceptives for like four years okay, until I decided to go off of it, maybe three and a half. So there's women who have been on the pill for like 10 years, like a really, really long mm-hmm. time. So the process of deciding to track your cycle more naturally is inherently tied to patience. Like you have to be patient with your body. Remember your body's on your side and do things that support your body. So that's the first thing before I even dive into specifics. But basically, if you're on the pill, what it does is it shuts off your ovulation. So when you're not ovulating, you're not really experiencing the phases of the cycle as they're meant to be experienced because the natural flow of your hormones is shut off. So you, some people say they get their period when they're on the pill because it's kind of, it kind of quote unquote happens, but it's just like the synthetic hormones being shed. Like it's not really because your uterine lining built up throughout the cycle and then was shed because that's what happens when you're not on the pill. Okay. So anyway, I can dive into the four phases if that's helpful. And then also talk a little bit about like how to actually track it because people don't know how to know which phase they're in. I also, I'm like, I have no idea. Are you on birth control right now? I'm not. So I was on a pill, like a birth control pill. I can't even remember what it was called. Ortho tricycline. Um, I was on Uh it when I was 18. Um, so like 10 years ago now, and I was on it for maybe six months and it just made me super angry. So I just knew I couldn't, couldn't take it. And so I just stopped taking it and I've never taken it birth control. That's good. Um, so that's probably not the safest thing to say since I don't know anything about, um, cycle thinking or anything. Um, do you track your cycle in any way? Like, do you use any apps to know, like to mark when you get your periods? So I've just, honestly, this sounds so old school. I just write on my calendar the day it starts and the day it ends. I mean, you're tracking it. Yeah. So that's about all I know, but it's funny. I never know when it like, when I'm like the other weeks, I know there's like different phases. I will always just feel like, oh my gosh, I'm cramping. And then I'll look and I'm like, I'll count the days. I'm like today or tomorrow. Like it's about to come. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So it's like relatively regular, you would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say so. That's good. I mean, if you've not been on the pill for a while, like it's probably like, that makes sense to me. Okay. But basically, when it comes to the phases, I use the analogy of seasons because it makes it super easy to remember. So your period is like your inner winter, right? When you get your period, I at least feel very tired, sleepy. Like I kind of want to sleep longer, sleep in. I don't have the motivation to go to the gym as much. So that's like the same thing as when it's cold outside. Like winter in New York, it's snowing. You want warm clothes, tea, hot beverages, soups, like 
warm nourishing meals and then you want to lay down and like maybe go to sleep a little earlier because you're not going out to like lower east side to go dance (laughs) the night away when it's like snowing outside Mm -hmm. so that's the same thing as your period and then in the around third day of your period your hormones start to rise so estrogen and testosterone start to rise and that's when you start feeling a little bit more energized so for a lot of women like they resonate with this where it's like your period ends and then you feel like oh my god I, mm-hmm. I'm not so like tired. Back to normal. Yeah. And so that's normal because that's how our hormones work. So basically that second part is your inner spring, right? So I think back to earlier this year, you know, spring in New York starts getting warmer and then everyone's like out on hawker walks. Everyone's just wanting to go to brunch and sitting outside and wanting to go to the central park to see the flowers. Like people get more social and people get more excited to spring clean, to start fresh you know, so it is kind of this new beginning. And I'm currently in my follicular phase, which is what the inner spring is called in more scientific terms, which the reason it's called follicular phase is because your follicles are getting stimulated and are essentially preparing your body to release the egg that would then be ready to be fertilized. And if it's not fertilized, then that's when you have your period, right? Okay. So that's the follicular phase. So right now, when I'm in my follicular phase, I feel so energized. I feel bubbly. I feel social. I love recording podcasts. I have so many ideas. You tend to be very good at brainstorming when you're in this beginning phase of your cycle. Because as I said, it's almost this like bubbly new season, like spring type energy. So that leads to your inner summer, which is ovulation, which is when the egg is released. And ovulation is relatively quickly, really relatively quick as a phase. It's only a few days. Ovulation technically only lasts 24 hours. So the process of the egg being released and ready to be fertilized is only 24 hours. But sperm can live inside a woman's body for up to like five days before the egg is dropped. So like if sperm entered your body and it's there lingering and then egg drops, it still could get fertilized, you know? So Mm -hmm. the five-ish days leading to ovulation is when you're going to feel your most energized. Think like summer in New York. Like everyone's out and about. People are traveling. People are going to new places. It's very social. It's that kind of energy. And also it's when you're like, you could literally be like a messy bun walking down the street, literally put no effort into your looks and people are going to be looking at you. Like you're going to be attracted. These are spot on. Like I really do feel like I am resonating with each one. I'm like, okay, wait, that's true too. And then you feel so confident, like it's mm. perfect, a perfect time to like take pictures and host or like go try a new restaurant, just like be social. And also some women experience a little bit of ovulation pain. So I experienced it a little bit where the day before my ovulation, I feel like a lower belly cramp mm-hmm. a little bit. And some women experience that. So that's a way to spot that you're ovulating. And then the second way to spot it is through looking at your fluid in your underwear or when you're wiping with toilet paper, it's going to be very obvious because it's going to be like, you could take your hands on that fluid and like spread your fingers and it's going to like be super clear, but like a raw egg white. Like mm-hmm. when you break open an egg and it's that transparency, like that texture even, mm-hmm. that's what your ovulation like looks like when it comes to what comes out of your vagina during that part so it's very clear like if you pay attention to your underwear and especially to toilet paper you're going to notice it's only a couple days like one to two days three max where that's going to be the case and that's how you know okay my body is ready to create a baby you know (laughs) so 
that's ovulation. And then after that, it's the second half of your cycle, which is called the luteal phase or your inner autumn. So same thing as fall energy, right? It gets cozier. You start kind of winding down. It's not as like, I feel like in summer, for especially in New York, everyone's traveling. Everyone's mm-hmm. kind of like doing their own thing. And then everyone gets back to the city for the fall. Things start to slow down a little bit more. It's more nurturing. It's more feminine energy focused. So that's the same thing with your cycle. And your luteal phase can be around 7 to 10, 11 days. And that's when you with when it comes to workouts and things like that it's really awesome to move your body and when like you're probably going to want to move your body in like a run lift like lifting weights going to a cycling class like that kind of thing in the first half but then I definitely noticed that as I enter my luteal phase or the inner autumn I start seeking more like pilates less heavy weights or still weight training but not like jumping up and down hit Mm. style workouts running that kind of thing it's more the static movements laying on the like mat kind of work that type of movement and that's when it's most important to also nurture your body a lot because you want to reduce the stress you're putting on your body so it feels safe enough to have a period to have the lining shed so it's possible it's really helpful to reduce caffeine I'm not saying cut it out. I'm not saying don't move your body at all. It's just reduce the intensity just a little bit. One less cup of coffee a day or switching to matcha or trying to not go drink like five days out of those 10. You know, it's just slowly reducing the intensity so that when you enter your inner winter, you're ready and your body feels safe to just have a more painless period. Wow. So that's the run through. Okay, I am so interested in this. I feel like I'm going to I love for stuff. I love the seasons analogy. I feel like you made it where anyone can understand and I think that is a superpower cuz sometimes um I've always I've talked about this a few times on my podcast. I think everyone thinks they have to share everything in the most like scientific manner. Um but I think it's yes. almost the the more the smartest people are the ones that can explain it in a way where anyone else can understand it cuz it means like you know your shit you know, and I feel like that shows love that. who you are. So I'm like big props because I've heard so many TikToks about cycle syncing. I've listened to podcasts and at the end, I'm like, what are they talking about? But now I understand it. And I feel like that is really cool. So yeah, honestly, thank Yay. you. Um, that makes me so happy. And then one last thing I want to mention mm-hmm. is like, okay, now you understand the, the structure of the cycle, the seasons, you know, the different phases, how to support your body. But then it's like, how do I know if I'm, my, if I'm in my follicular or in my ovulation or whatever? And aside from looking at your fluid that I was saying, like looking at what comes in your underwear and toilet paper, another method you can use to track your cycle naturally is tracking your body temperature. So that's really simple. It's basically right first thing in the morning, taking your temperature. So a really good app slash technology is called Natural Cycles. It's a little thermometer you put under your tongue. Like you wake up, you reach for your bedside table, you put it under your tongue for 30 seconds and you log it in your app. And after ovulation has ended, your temperature rises. It enters this like slightly higher bracket. And that's how you know you've passed ovulation. And you're in those like last 10 days where you're probably going to want to slow it a little bit down, nurture yourself a little more. And I actually have the Aura Ring. So the Aura Ring has an integration with natural cycles. The Aura Ring is like a Apple Watch type Hmm. 
device. So you can measure your workouts, your sleep, things like that, but it also tracks your cycle. So that's what I currently use. I used to use natural cycles, but it's just another way of deepening your self-awareness so that you can know more clearly if you're in your follicular, in your ovulation, or in your luteal. Because you're going to know if you're on your menstrual, like your period, mm. that's obvious. The other two just feel a little bit harder to spot if you're not looking at your fluid or your temperature. Would you say that if someone starts to like live more like with their cycle, that they're, they're going to feel a difference? Not just in their, not just with their period, but in life in general? Yes, 100%. Okay. For me, the biggest difference has been my intuition. Okay. Like I am my body mind connection is so much stronger than it used to be. Wow. And that's the biggest shift I've noticed for sure. So do you even like plan your work around like your cycle and everything? That's something I like do a little bit, but mm-hmm. not so much. I know that during the luteal phase, I tend to it's like the time to bring things over the finish line. So in that sense, I kind of do do that where I like to brainstorm, write all my ideas down. If I have any ideas in my follicular phase, I always write them down. So I do it in small ways, but it's easier to do if you work for yourself. Mm-hmm. And yes, very recently, definitely. I left a startup that I was working at part time, like I was contracting for them. And I left that to go full in on coaching and content creation. So now I'm creating those structures because I kind of want to implement that more seriously into how I run my business. And you mentioned cycle singing with your workouts. So are, would you say that you feel like, I don't say better about your workouts, but do they feel like better in your body when you, hmm? okay. Cause I do it's notice they're honoring time, your body. I feel Cause I feel like there are times when I go to the gym and weightlifting sounds really good. And I'm like, why well, I feel so strong. But there are some times where I would have this guilt and I'm wondering if it's something to do with that, where I'm like, I just 100%. don't have the energy to weightlift, but I could do something else. And I think I felt almost like, oh, why can't I just stick to one workout? And now I'm like, oh, maybe I don't have to stick to one workout. And intuitive oh. movement has changed my life. Like it's so powerful. This morning, I think I'm on day 13 of my cycle or 14, I woke up and I was such in the mood for a run. So I went on a run and I like had a really good mile time. Like I ran like three miles and I'm not, I don't usually run a lot, but it was intuitive. I woke up and I was like, this is the movement that I'm craving today. And it felt good because I was able to run comfortably. I was enjoying it instead of pushing myself through a run five days before my cycle when I'm tired and I'm just not feeling it. So I tend to not plan my workouts very much in advance unless I book a class or something. I usually just wake up and I know I'm going to go to the gym, but I'm flexible with what I'm going to do there. Am I going to do a workout on my phone? Mm -hmm. That's a Pilates workout. Am I going to weight lift? Am I going to walk on the treadmill? Like that depends. I feel like that would motivate me to go a lot more too. Cause I think sometimes when I don't feel like doing like weightlifting, I'm like, okay, well, I just don't want to go. And I actually think if I was like, okay, let's, let's just go to the gym and see what I feel like doing. I feel like I'd have uh help. Not, I want to say not, not that I have an unhealthy relationship with working out, but I can be kind of inconsistent where I'll go for like two weeks and there's two weeks I don't. So I do think if I gave myself more of that room, I feel like that, I honestly, I feel like I'm so interested in cycle singing now. Yes. Yay. Yeah. Try that out. Like try just like practicing consistency with getting to the gym mm-hmm. but then when you're there or that morning doing a little check-in and just like spotting in your brain what your brain signals to you and that's what I mean the body mind connection I'll wake up and I'll just 
think of a workout like oh today I want to do the the Whitney Simmons weightlifting app or oh this morning I'm really craving like a Pilates banded workout or this morning I'm really craving a long walk on the treadmill and then I just follow that okay instead of thinking I'm supposed to be doing a certain kind of movement and it really does like you said it really does kind of bring you back to alignment and intuition because you're trusting what your body wants you to do which is awesome um I think it's also something you mentioned is really I angering that you're right we really don't learn anything about our cycles or about womanhood um in school at all and I remember I so I went I lived in Georgia which is I I would say it's more on the religious conservative end and so in in my school I remember I have had guy friends that have mentioned that they had a health class but we the girls didn't have a health class we had like a general health like where we would learn about like like running and like taking care of yourself but there was like a like a a class just for guys to learn where they would teach them like how to put a condom on a banana but we didn't have anything like that and I'm like imagine if we had learned about our bodies because it becomes like, I, like this really taboo wish that the health education we get changes mm-hmm. and maybe I can contribute to that in some way yes. in the future like I would love to have that impact in the educational system because wow. it could improve our relationship to our body so much as women and I, just help us feel healthier overall I watched a video recently where they were asking a bunch of guys like oh can girls pee with a tampon in and I, yeah, I saw that video too there's a podcast <laughs> I listened to where it's a guy and a girl and the guy was like, oh, so I saw this video and I had to ask you, do you pee with a tampon in? And she's like, yeah, I do. But, and he was like, oh, well, does, do you pee out of the same hole? And I don't know if she felt uncomfortable to admit it, but she was like, oh, I don't know. And I was like, I'm not judging, but I'm like, I hope either one, she feels embarrassed to just talk about her body. Um, but this was like her gay best friend. So like, it wasn't like an, uh-huh. was an uncomfortable situation or she just genuinely didn't know where she pees out of. And I was like, oh my gosh, we have to learn about our bodies. We have to know these things. And you could tell she felt nervous that she's like, oh, I have to Google that. I'm not sure. And I'm like, we should feel empowered to know about our, about ourselves. Yeah, for sure. A book that really impacted me and helped me a lot was the book Period Power by Maisie Hill. And it's really great. And that's where I learned the like seasons analogy. And that's like how it's stuck in my brain and why I teach that. So like credits Mm -hmm. to Maisie Hill for like writing that book and in the beginning like the first chapter of that book she talks about the anatomy of our body so she explains Mm -hmm. like this is the vulva this is this like this is the urethra like this is our uterus and just basics of our anatomy as women that we should also be aware of well okay thank you for that I'm gonna put that in the show notes but I realize we're I think we're close to our time. I feel like we have so much more to talk about. I would love to have you back again I would love for a part two. I feel like this was extremely insightful. Um, thank you so much for being here. I'd love if you want to give any final any final advice to anyone who's listening. So the, the name of the show is It Gets Better. So I always talk about this is the advice I needed when I thought things weren't going to get better. So if there's someone who's listening who maybe is struggling with any of the things you mentioned, whether it's eating disorder recovery, procrastination, you know, struggling with their cycle, anything in general, and they're thinking, okay, is my life going to get better? If you had one final piece of advice for them, what would it be? It's all part of the journey. You know, when I was creating inner growth, which is my brand, my community. One thing that really inspired me to create that based on that name, inner growth, is that when we look back, 
10 years from now, five years from now, or even if today you look back to two, three years ago, you will see you've been growing this entire time. You will see that it's all part of it. And if it wasn't for those little stepping stones and those mistakes or those learning lessons or those ups and downs, you wouldn't have returned to yourself in the way you have. You wouldn't have mm -hmm. learned the things you know now. You wouldn't be the person you are today. And so it's always getting better. And Love it can be better than you could ever imagine if you learn to lean into the process and to the ups and downs and using the the low moments as a way to reconnect to who that. you want to be. I love that so much. Okay. So let everyone know where they can find you, um, your handles and all of that. Yes. Um, thank you so much for having me. This has been so lovely. If anyone wants to connect with me, you can follow me at the Caroline lifestyle on Instagram or TikTok. I have a podcast called inner growth and that is also the name of my community and my brand. So you can follow us at innergrowth.co on Instagram and TikTok. And the podcast is in all platforms. And then if anyone is interested in working with me, I'm open for one-on-one -on -one coaching. So just send me a message and we can talk more. Amazing. Okay, everyone, I will be putting all of Carolina's information in the show notes. And if you're watching on YouTube, I'll have it in the description. And then I'll also share all of her information over on my Instagram stories as well. So you can go check her out. Uh, thank you so much for this. It was such a pleasure. And you guys, I'll also be doing an episode over on her podcast, Inner Growth. So make sure to check that out as well. Uh, I love you guys so much. Thank you again to Carolina. Big claps for her being here. And I will <laughs> talk to you all next time. Bye. Thank you.